One of the most important things that I ever was told when I found myself in this role, this role of pastor, I never thought of myself as a pastor. I still don't look at myself and think of myself as a pastor. But God clearly put me into this role and into this place at this time. And Lafayette Scales called me at that time and said, John, I just want you to know this, that God has built into you the DNA that he wants for this church at this time. So don't try to be Pastor Sam. Nobody could be Pastor Sam. Don't try to be Pastor David. Don't try to be Lafayette Scales. Don't try to be anybody other than who you are. Because God's formed you the way he wants you for this church at this time. And I'm saying that because part of my makeup and the way God's formed me is um, I'm very purpose-oriented. And I believe with all my heart that God has called me to lead this church somewhere. And, and there are pastors that are good teachers. I'm a, a gift of a teacher, but my teaching is focused on preparing and, and establishing something so that we together can go somewhere or together allow God to do something in us. So there are a lot of wonderful subjects. I've never struggled for thinking up subjects or having subjects to teach on. I have to kind of put them aside. There's so many things that go off in me. And then make sure that I know where God wants us to go and what God wants us to do. This is the most humbling position to be in, to realize that God entrusts into your hands the direction and lives of people that are so precious to Him that He gave His life for. And it, it, it just keeps me on my knees. It keeps me trusting God. I'm saying that by way of, of why we're focused on what we're focused, because we're, we're, God is heading this church, or wants to head this church in a direction together. Not individually, but together, so that He can do His will in us, for us and through us. And with that as a background, let's pray together so we can ask, seek God for this. Father, we thank you today for your wonderful grace and mercy. We thank you, Father, for the wonderful things that you've done through us through Christ Jesus and the opportunity that we've had to come together this morning and to sing about those things and to sing about you and about our Lord and what he's done for us. And Father, today we ask you to continue to open the eyes of our understanding that we would truly see the hope of your calling for our life that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we're living in very challenging and difficult times, but our eyes are on you today, Lord. Our eyes are on you and our ears are open to what you would say to us. And so, Father, we declare today that we need the Holy Spirit that you've given to us to open the Word of God to us and to speak into our hearts. There are people here this morning, Father, that need encouragement There are people here this morning that need healing, physical healing, emotional healing. There are many needs represented in this room right now, Father. But there are needs that we don't know we have, but you do know. And so we entrust ourselves to you this morning and to the Holy Spirit to take this living word and to breathe it into our hearts that we may not just be strengthened and encouraged, Lord, but that our eyes may be open, our ears may be open, and our hearts may be open to what it is you want to say to us and what it is you want to do in us, for you are at work in us, both to will and to do your good pleasure. And for these things we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We've been talking about um, the, the main series is, are we going to have church or are we going to be the church? And I don't want to go back over that very much because uh, we won't get into the into the message today. But it's basically the distinction is having churches when our motive for coming to church and our motive for everything we do is what we get out of it. And the expression have church comes from the expression where people say, boy, did we have church today? And what they're referring to is, you know, what they got out of it. We had a great time. We saw miracles. You know, the praise and worship was great. And it's very tempting after a service to kind of go back over it the way you would a movie or the way you might do a concert and and evaluate, boy, that was good, that wasn't good, based on what my own subjective impression is and what I got out of it. That's having church. But we've not been called to have church, we've been called to be the church. To be something is very different than experiencing something. You can experience something and then just let it go. Because a good movie you've seen maybe years ago, you've forgotten most of it. You may remember some of the, the, the first impact uh, I've seen movies years ago, you know, I came out of some of them, and it took me a while to get reoriented where I was. I got so deeply into the movie. Um, but, 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 but that's over with. It didn't change me. And here's what happens when we're just 
having church. We come, get an experience, and we enjoy it or we didn't enjoy it. But when we leave, we're not changed. And we go out into a world, to a job, to a home, to, to a community that isn't changed by what happened when we had church. But we're not called to have church, we're called to be the church. And to be the church, you'll take the church wherever you go. You understand you brought the church in here when you came. The church is not this building. I was so excited because I'm teaching a class in, in our, our, our Christian school here on public speaking. I figured, I guess I could do that. And, and I got, you know, some of the students, they're really grasping some of these things. And one of the students, is, we're talking about a sermon that they're preparing. He says, the, the church is the people. And I said, well, I almost want to have you come up and preach that here. The church is the people. You bring the church with you. The, this building is not the church. I had a service, a church, a small church we had before. One of the one of the meeting places was a was a public facility that we rented, and I showed there showed up on Sunday morning, and everyone's standing outside because they forgot to unlock the building for us. So what do we do? Well, we can't get in the church, so we go home. No, we are the church. So we went in the parking lot, and the church got together, and so we we had church together. So, but if you're going to be the church, oh, this is good. If you're going to be the church, we've got to be changed into what it is we've got to be. In order to be the church, we have to be changed so that whatever it is we're to be, we take out there. Because whatever you are now, you can tell what you are now by what effect you're having in the world around you. Do you have people coming up to you regularly saying, what do you have that I don't have? Are you a light in the place that you work? Or do you hide out in your cubicle? Because whatever you are, I'm not talking about in your spirit, whatever you are in your, the totality of your personality is what you take out of here, what you take to work, what you take into your home, what you take into the, into the, into the grocery store, whatever you go, it's what you take. So God is at work in us to change us and to conform us into the image of Christ. The word image is something that can be seen on the outside. So God is at work in us both to will and to do His good pleasure. uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word transform means to take the change God put on the inside of you and bring it to the outside so other people can see it and it can affect their lives. So the learning to be the church is a change that has to fundamentally take place inside of us. And then we begin to look at how this is to happen. What is it? Why are we here? And we went through and looked at the commission, the Great Commission. We saw it in Matthew and Mark and Luke, different versions of it. And then we looked in John, the Gospel of John at the end. Jesus says, you are to, to the works that I do, I have done, you are to do also. That's just a part of the commission, but that's a part that's so often missed. The works that I did, we went and looked at those works. He healed the sick, he raised the dead, he cast out demons. He relieved people. God through him relieved people of the consequences of Satan's work in their lives and delivered them and set them free. They didn't just sing in church, I've been set free. He was setting them free, that's how they could sing it. And then we saw the most important thing about this is Jesus said, it's the Father in me that did those works. So it wasn't, we, we could understand, of course Jesus could do those works, He's the Son of God. But Jesus, no, I didn't do them because I'm the Son of God. It's the Father living in me that did those works. And then we saw that just before He went to the cross, He told His disciples that they were to go and they were wait in Jerusalem. Actually, once He'd been raised up. And He came to them and says, you need to go and wait in Jerusalem until you've been endued with the same power by which I did these miracles. And He says, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we looked at the results of that. In Acts chapter 2, they all gathered together, they waited for about 10 days, and then what happened is the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost blew into that place because they were waiting of one accord, and the place was filled with the Holy Spirit and power, and they spilled out into the streets. And so we began to look at these things, and then I began to share with you my testimony. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I don't know, 30-some years ago, 35, 36 years ago, speaking tongues a lot. But the one thing that seems to be missing is the power. He says, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit and power. So I got the Holy Spirit, I speak in tongues, I can discern spiritual things, the gifts of the Spirit operate. But where's the, where's the power? Where's the power? People will come. 
That's why they're so fascinated with, with Halloween type of things and in movies because the world's hungry for the supernatural. So the devil feeds their hunger with his supernatural. But we have the real supernatural. We have the real. That's the counterfeit. We have the real. And because that's not being demonstrated, the world is flocking to the false, to the dark side, to, to the dark force. <laughs> And this is one of the reasons we're here. It's not the only reason, one of the reasons we're here. So I began to ask myself this question, Lord, I read in the book of Acts, what happened, the things that happened, and I don't see them. There are other parts of the world where they're happening, and there may be some parts in the United States or in some churches that they're happening, but I don't see them here. I don't see them in this church. I don't see them in my life. I don't see them. So God, why? What is it? So it's caused me to go back and look again at these foundational scriptures. Lord, what's missing? And to begin to cry out for it. So we've talked about that before. And then we began to talk about last time. Let's go to, I told you Ephesians 3. All right. Now, I didn't give them in the booth this scripture. We looked at the first time. Back in verse 2 at the end, he says, in whom are being built up together for a dwelling place of God. So what he's been talking about is the church this church is being built up together say together Together. being built up together as a dwelling place for God as westerners as opposed to the far east and the middle east our thinking pattern is always as individuals especially United States we're a bunch of individuals we we, we celebrate our individuality And, and, and in and the problem is, we look at ourselves as Christians that way. So we have, I don't know, 650, 700 individuals that come here on a Sunday morning, have church, and then 650 to 700 individuals leave. But that's not how God sees us. This is the body of Christ. This is a part of the body of Christ, as my little finger is a part of my body. And so, so many of the blessings that we look for, so many of the things that we look for, we're looking to receive as individuals, and God wants us to learn to receive them together as a whole. And I set that background, because that's the background for what Paul's about to pray, because he starts in chapter 3 by saying, for this reason I bow my knees, and then he goes into this little parenthetical discussion about some of what he went through, and then he picks up with verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family, we're a family, in heaven, so part of the family's in heaven, and earth, part of the family's on earth, is named, and we're named after the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're called Christians. My family has a family name, it's Pfeffer, for better or worse, that's the name. (laughs) And so we're identified with it. I was in, the, um, was in, a, in, in our local uh, 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 Rite Aid store a couple of weeks ago when my grandson was with us, and, and we're both John Pfeffers. And so he's known, and I'm known by our last name, Pfeffer. So our family's named after that name. Well, we as a family are named after the founder, which is Christ. We're Christians. We're a family from whom the family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we looked at this and we said, wait a minute. I didn't ask you to raise your hands, but I said, I suspect that for every one of you that's a Christian, if I were to ask you, does Jesus live in you? Yeah, of course. I can't be a saint if Jesus doesn't live in me. Then why, does he, why is He praying for Christians that God would have to strengthen them by the Holy Spirit with might. That word is power, the dynamite power of God. Why do I have to be strengthened for something I already have? Because I already have it. Because He may be in me, but this word dwell means to take up residence, to settle down, to be comfortable in, and to be able to live His life in it and through it. So what Paul is praying is that Christ may be able to live in us, not just individually, but collectively as a body. And to be do this, we've got to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, which means He must want to live something in me I've got to be strengthened to handle. 
Because if it's just He's going to be there, He's already there, so I don't need to be strengthened. That you being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend. So apparently we just, we can't understand certain things unless we're strengthened to understand them. It's not just our mental capacity, it's our spirit sensitivity, the openness of our heart to grasp and comprehend something. And what is it? With all the saints, what is the width and the length and the depth and the height? That's the boundaries, the limits of what? Verse 19. And to know, that means by experience, the love of Christ that passes understanding. So his prayer is that although Christ may live in us, that we be strengthened by the Holy Spirit's power so that we could be able to grasp and understand that Christ could live His will in us, live His will through us, do what He wants to do in this lost and dying world through us. We're the only ones He can do it through. And I don't just mean Faith Christian Center. I mean His church. He's not going to do it through the government. He's not going to do it through science. He's not going to do it through biology. He's going to do it through His church. That's why we're here. That's why He would expose us to all the dangers because there's something greater than that risk that's worth it. But in order for that to happen, we have to be able to be willing to expand the borders of what we're willing to do and say and where we're willing to go. So He's got to work within us to expand and tear down those limits. What kind of limits? It's called our comfort zone. All of us have one. They're the boundaries of what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. This is one of the areas God's been working on me. Saw somebody that we went to breakfast yesterday and I saw this lady in driving one of these wheelchairs and it was like the Lord says, if I asked you to go talk to her, would you? I don't want to, I was going to breakfast with my wife. <laughs> I was just minding my own business. What are you willing to do? Because he may want to take you, he may, Christ in you, may want to go love somebody through you that you don't like. He may want to love somebody through you, you don't, you don't think deserves it. But you didn't deserve it either. And so we put limits on what He can do through us. Not what He wants to do. We, you can limit God. In you and in me. So that we may be filled up with all the fullness of God. God wants to not just fill you, He wants to together fill us up with His fullness. This is what He wants to do. And so this is what we began to look at. So we talked about some areas that when the Spirit of God comes and begins to work in us, to strengthen us, what, what's He likely to do? And we need to be prepared for this. So there's some difficult things He'll work on. And I'm not going to go into the details of this. We looked over in one of the most difficult, challenging ones in Matthew chapter 10. He talks about our relationships with one another. And what, what we do is we, when we put relationships above Him, we limit what He can do. And he talks about, he said, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And he didn't mean strife. What he meant to be is, I'm going to cause division. Just because of, I require a decision of yours that will automatically make divisions. Draw a line in the sand. Because he says these amazing words. He says, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, you've got to go where I went. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. What's a cross? It's a, cross is a, a cross is a place of, di- of death. It's not just a place of death, it's a place of humiliation. He was despised and rejected by men. And the question is, are we willing to be despised and rejected by the world in order to follow Him? By your family, by your friends. And what happens is when you stand up for Christ, when we receive Him and then we choose to follow Him and we choose to serve Him and put Him first, other people are going to look at you. See, once you put Christ first in your life, people no longer respond or react to you based on you. It's what they think of Him. As long as we're trying to make people happy with us and, and make people like us, we're not identifying with Him. And they'll deal with you based on what they think of you. But the moment you make the decision 
I'm living for Christ no matter what anybody thinks, and I will be confident and bold about that. They no longer look at you. For instance, you can be riding on an airplane with somebody or sitting in the coffee room at work. And they can get to say, oh, you go to church. Yeah, I go to church. Where do you go? Faith Christian Center. Wow, that's great. How long is two hours service? Two hours. How do you go to church for two hours? My goodness, how do you do that? Well, I love the, I like it. We're on TV, blah, 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 blah. I like this. I like the chair I get to sit in. I get my friend. Whatever it is you're sharing about. Okay. And God's made a big change in my life. God loves us. They'll listen to that. But the moment you mention Jesus, everything changes. Because the moment you mention Jesus, they no longer look at you based on what they think of you. They now look at you based on what they think of Him, and that draws a line. Jesus said, I came, and I will, what, following me may cause division in your family. He said, you cannot put, you cannot put your father or your mother, and, and, the, and the Bible tells us to honor them. That's one of the commandments. But not to put them above God. Not to put them above the Christ. And what he's talking about here is our relationships. When we have relationships that have a place in our heart that's above him, that limits what he can do in us. We have just cordoned off a, a, a closet in our heart for him. Said so Jesus, you can dwell in. See, you can, oh, you know, you can dwell in your house if you just live in a closet. You're dwelling there. You're there, but you're not enjoying the house. You don't have free reign in the house. So when we say, look, Lord, don't, 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 don't deal with, don't win, that's my family. Those are my kids. They're my kids. No, they're not. They're not yours. They're His. Do you want to have your prayers for your children become really effective? Stop praying for them selfishly. Stop praying for your children so you look like you're a better parent. Stop praying for your children because when they get their life turned around, it's going to make you feel better. And start praying for them because they belong to God and He cares about them more than you do. Start representing God on their behalf to them and you'll watch things begin to change faster. You'll watch a power because so much of our praying is selfish. It's to solve situations that affect us. This is all over the place this morning, but that's okay. I was away for a week. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we talked about relationships. And then we looked in John chapter 12, and we talked about how our reputation can get in the way. And, and the Bible says this, and he says, there are, were many of the leaders in the synagogue that believed in him, but they would not confess him publicly. Why? Because they love the approval of man more than the approval of God. So when we love the approval of others, when we need the approval of others, we're putting, giving them a place in our heart that's above God. So when the Spirit of God comes to prepare a place for Christ to live through you, He's going to work in these areas. This is what this is all about. I'm preparing you for the areas He's going to want to work in. He's going to deal with what place does He have in your heart and that will get very practical about relationships with your family, relationships with people that are important to you. It doesn't mean we don't love them. It doesn't mean we can't love them above Christ. And then what other people think of you, your reputation. And then the third thing we looked at, the third thing we looked at was stuff. The, 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 the things of this world that we need. And we were in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and your, His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And He talks about what your heart is seeking after because when you're worrying, and the sign of this is not how you feel in church, the sign is, are you worrying? Are you worrying about your job? Are you worrying are you going to have enough money? Are you worrying if you can afford to tithe? Are you worrying, are you worrying about money and stuff? Then you have put that in your place in your heart above God. This is why the tithe is so important to him. You know, Jesus sat there and watched people's giving. He sat in the temple and watched the offering. Why? Because he needs the money? No, because where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. And he's looking at where people's heart is by what they're treasuring. And so the Spirit of God is going to come, and when he comes, if, this is what you've got to be willing to let him do. Look at you about stuff. 
If I'm worrying about do I have enough, if I'm worrying about how am I going to get my next meal, if I'm worrying about these, don't you understand that God clothes the lilies of the field? Don't you understand that He feeds the birds of the air? They don't stress, they don't worry. Aren't you of far more value to Him than they are? He said, therefore seek first the kingdom of God and all these, and, and His righteousness and all these things will be added. He'll provide them for you so that when we worry about these things, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I've got more confidence in me as my provider than you. In order for Jesus to have free reign, He's got to have access to our stuff. He's got to have access to our stuff. Well, those were easy compared to what we're going to talk about today. Say, I love Pastor John. Okay, I just wanted to get that out first. No, this will set you free. And they shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I'm, it's not, they're not going to have it to put up there. It's not even in my notes. But one of the, our famous, most important faith scriptures is Mark eleven twenty three 23 and 24. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast in the sea, and shall not, believe, not doubt, but believe in his heart, whatsoever things he shall have. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things, verse 23, 4, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. So he's talking about prayer. But there's a verse 25. And when you pray, oh good, and whenever you stand praying, if you have, what's that word? Anything. Anything. That includes big stuff, and it includes little stuff. If you have anything against anyone, say anyone. Anyone. Now look to your left. (laughs) Some of you don't know where left is. (laughs) Look to your left. That's okay, we'll cover the other. Now look to the other direction, you're right. That anyone includes them. We just hit some marriages, I think. Whenever you, whenever you stand praying, and if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. So that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. One of the things that the Spirit of God will deal with, maybe above everything else, is offenses and strife, holding things against someone else. And we're going to talk about why this morning, why that's so critical. But just because the Scripture says that if you don't forgive, He can't forgive you. We'll see why. Uh, That needs to sink in. Because I've, st- I've had people do things to me. Things that really hurt. Where they were wrong and I know I was right. Sometimes you think you're right and you're... But I knew I was right. I knew I did what God's Word said. And people got mad at me. Strike caused me trouble. I got a choice to make. I'm either going to forgive them or I'm going to hold on to it. But look at this. If I don't forgive them then my Father can't forgive me. So is it worth standing before Him with unforgiven sin because of what you did to me? Not for me it isn't. I'm so careful and I'm not perfect by any means. And I, have, I examine my heart on a regular basis. I have been known on occasion as a driver when I'm running late to be a little impatient. I'm much better than I used to be. And, and, and I, I had, was tempted this morning crossing Route 6 this dear sweet lady who was not going to work or church because I go to work and church she was just out for a Sunday drive and the light turned and her left turn signal was on and she's sitting there I want to go knock on the window and let her know it doesn't get any greener. And then she just woke up and made the turn. But I, I cannot let that sit in me, that little thing. 
It's just a little thing she did. And she didn't know she was doing it to me. And really, it's just pride. Why do I think I got a better right to go through that traffic light than she does? And maybe if I'd left earlier, I wouldn't have been under such pressure. But even if she was completely wrong, I can't afford to let that little thing stay in there. Because it's a seed. And seeds do what? They grow and they produce fruit. Some of the fruit's good and some of it's poison ivy. So I cannot especially come in here to minister in the morning because my heart has to be open and pure and right. Not perfect. But here, this is what's gotten me many times with situations where, God, I don't know if I can forgive. Well, do I need His forgiveness? Then I have to let go. I have to let go. It affects your prayers. Peter says that if you're living in strife with your spouse, with your wife, it affects the effectiveness of your prayers, gentlemen. Right, ladies? Okay. Well, I thought I'd get a better response than that. Okay. Okay. So here's why. We're talking about this. We're talking about the Spirit of God working in us with might, with power. Now you can see why it takes might. Now you can see why it takes dynamite. Because there are some strongholds in some of your hearts that the only way they're going to move out is for the Spirit of God to light a fuse and walk away and go boom and break those things apart. But we've got to be willing to let Him do it. This is the point. So, come back and get what we're talking about. God's, Paul's prayer, and this is my prayer for us, is that God would strengthen us with the Holy Spirit's dynamite in our heart so that we could come to know, so that Christ could dwell, live in us, and th- live His love in us and through us. I'm going to go back to Ephesians 3 in a minute. So that He could live in us and through us, and so that in order to do that, we have to be able to comprehend, understand, grasp the limitlessness of the boundaries of His love. Who He'll go love on, who He would die for, down in the depths of the gutters, the people that are the most despicable. A number of years ago, one of the more famous serial killers of our, of our era, I think his last name was Bundy. I've forgotten how many people he killed. He got saved, filled with the Spirit, had Bible studies. Now, is he going to heaven or not? Yeah! yeah. That all got forgiven because he confessed. But somebody had to be willing to go talk to him and, and realize God still loves him and not sit there, how could God forgive him? He killed all those people. Well, you and I have killed people too. <gasps> We're going to see in a minute. When you hate somebody, you've murdered them in God's eyes. So this is why. Two things about this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. So the Bible tells us to forgive. We're commanded to forgive. That's reason enough. But there's another part of this that's important for us to understand. Unforgiveness offense is clearly sin. It's destructive sin. It will ruin your life. It will cause you to open the door to sickness and disease. And then will begin to affect other people. Hebrews says that, that be careful you do not let a root of bitterness get started because by that many will be defiled. And then we're responsible. But, but we're talking about making room for Christ to be able to live in us, for us to be filled with all the fullness of God, and then we would be able to comprehend the limitlessness of His love. And what's the opposite of love? Hate. So how can I be hating? How can I be mad? How can I be offended at somebody and let Christ loose to love in my heart? It's like trying to go faster with your accelerator, with your left, right foot on the accelerator and your left foot on the brake. So there's a, there's a tension going on. And with some of you, it's going on in you right now. Because the Spirit of God inside of you is trying to work to express God's love 
in you and through you and the strongholds of hurt, the strongholds of unforgiveness are pulling you the other way so you can't see what God sees. And the prayer was that they could comprehend, they could see, they could grasp the limitlessness of His love. You can't see the limitlessness of His love if you're focused on this hurt of what somebody did to me. So let's look at what this love is like. God is love, the Bible tells us. So our unforgiveness works against the limitless of Christ that He wants to operate in us and through us. Our unforgiveness blinds us to the very thing the Spirit of God wants to show us and reveal to us. And I'll make this statement. When you're willing to let the Spirit of God deliver you from these things, many of the emotional things you struggle with will go away the root of much, I'm not saying everything, but the root of much of the emotional things that we got to take pills for and do all this stuff for is because the love of Christ is not flowing in us and through us. Because that love is the life of God. It brings wholeness and healing. The root of most of our depression, the root of most of the things, it's self-consciousness. It's what this mean to me? What did they do to me? What did they mean? This hurts me. Me, 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 me. And Christ's love is not about me. It's about them. It's about them. So let's look quickly at 1 Corinthians 13. And the reason I'm using this is not only because it's a great description of love, but because of the the larger picture here. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to believers in this Greek city of Corinth, known for their philosophy, known for their idols, and, and, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, in chapter 12, he gives this dissertation on the gifts of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, discerning of spirits, prophesying in tongues, prophecy, works of miracles, works of knowledge, words of knowledge, uh, all kinds of powerful gifts and demonstrations. The power of God was flowing there. But they were the most carnal church Paul had. And what he says here, we're going to see, the problem is that Paul, so Paul writes this letter. In chapter 12, he deals with the issue of, of, of the gifts of the Spirit because they'd become proud because they were prophesying in church. They'd become proud because they had the discerning of spirits, because they had different people spoke in tongues, different people did things in church. You know, and, and, and when those things begin to flow in a church, people's pride, you know, I spoke in tongues today. Oh, I prophesied. And Paul, Paul's going to tell them, all these gifts and manifestations are flowing, but in God's eyes, they're nothing. And here's why. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, each of these refers to one of these spiritual gifts, but have not love, I become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so as to remove mountains, I have nothing. I mean, look at that. I have the gift of prophecy. I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. These are spiritual gifts. Though I have all faith, I have faith to move mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. Not it didn't come out too well. I'm, we're talking about having church here, boy. I mean, look at this. I speak with tongues. We've got miracles happening. We've got prophecies going forth. That's the very stuff people say, wow, did we have church today? But in God's eyes, He said, it's nothing. Not good effort. Well, I enjoyed some of it. It's nothing. Verse 3. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. So all these great outside manifestations, if it's not motivated by who God is, it does, counts as nothing. Because the purpose of all these gifts, if we went earlier in chapter 12, was to manifest God out into the world. Manifest means reveal, show. So how can I be showing God when God is love and we're full of strife. Jesus told His disciples right before He went to the cross, He said, the world's going to know what I'm like by the way you love one another. The world's going to know what I'm like by the love you have one for another. 
Not by how, well, how good the preacher is, not by how beautiful the stage is, not by the wonderful TV program you have, but the love you have one for another. Why? Because God wants to exhibit Himself through us and God is love. A love that will go down to the pits. A love that will go out into the slums. A love that will go anywhere to rescue somebody. But He's got to go in us. And if we won't go, He can't go. And if we have a rotten attitude and unforgiveness, He can't flow His, His love through us. Matthew chapter 5 gets better. Told you this would be fun. But it is. It's good. It's good. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You've heard it said, Of old you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. Let's stop there a second. I don't believe, this is just, this is me. I don't believe when he says without cause. By the way, that's not in some of the translations. When he says without cause, I don't believe he means if somebody's really done you something wrong that justifies your being angry at them. What I believe he means there is when we're holding on to it without cause. Shall be in danger of judgment. Whoever says to his brother Rocker, let's just call him a name, empty headed, you shall be in danger of the council. Whoever says fool, you shall be in danger of hellfire. Let's not focus on the bad stuff. Go to verse 23. Therefore, because of this, if you bring your gift to the altar, that's talking about worship, and remember that your brother has something against you. This isn't even that you got something against your brother. If there's something wrong, if you've done something, whether it was right or wrong, and your brother's offended at you, go first to be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying here, you really can't worship. You can sing songs. You can jump up and down and get excited and run around the church. You can do a Holy Ghost hop and dance. You can do outward things, but worship's not an outward thing. Worship is spirit to spirit. And since God's essence of His Spirit is love, if my spirit is holding something against someone else, or there's a division with somebody else, how can that spirit worship the Holy Spirit of God that's love Himself? So He's saying, go get that fixed first. And then come and bring your gift. Then leave your gift on the altar and go your way. Okay, we're going to stop there. Now, so the first thing we're talking about here is how can we represent God? How can God, Christ, be free to flow through us if we're holding on to offenses and strife that's the very opposite of God's nature? We limit what He can do through us. But there's another reason why we should forgive. There's another reason why we should not hold on to offense. And understand this. This is a weapon of Satan. These things don't just happen. I'm very much aware as a pastor to be on guard on Sunday morning. And it will apply to you too. Not just because I'm a pastor. Satan's going to try to get me offended. And he'll try through people close to you. He'll try through situations. He'll try because you, you can't get your hair just right or you can't get the... He'll try to get you upset because he's, he's after a spiritual thing. But he uses natural annoyances. He'll use natural... He'll bring across your path people that you have not resolved with yet. And He'll bring them across your path to try to provoke you to get upset. Why? Because He's trying to steal ahead of time what God wants to do in your life. So I have to guard myself about these things. But there's another reason. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. 18, excuse me, Matthew 18. Oh boy. Matthew 18. This really sums it up. Verse 21. Jesus said to you, uh, what's happened before is Peter came to them and said, Lord, how often do I have to serve, forgive my brother? Up to seven times? I bet he was thinking, I can do that. And Jesus said, verse 21, 
uh, yeah, verse 22. He said, I don't say to you up to seven times, but seven, seventy times seven. And some of the versions says in one day. That's forty-nine times. Is that right? Yeah. Four hundred ninety times. Math was never my strong my thing. <laughs> And one of the others, he says, you know, they said, well, Lord, increase our faith. It's interesting. Jesus told him to cast out devils, told him to raise the dead, <laughs> told him to heal the sick. They didn't ask to increase their faith. But when Jesus said, you've got to forgive them seven times seventy, oh, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> it, it, they thought it took more faith to forgive their brothers than it did to raise the dead. <laughs> And maybe that's true. Now he's going to help them. Therefore the kingdom of God, verse 23, is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he settled accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he wasn't able to pay. His master commanded and so told him to be sold, his wife and his children, and all that he had so the payment was going to be. going to sell him into slavery. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And the master of the servant was moved, moved, with, was moved with compassion and released him and forgave his debt. That represents us. Then the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, not ten thousand, but a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat and said, Pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me and I will pay you all. But he would not. So he would not have compassion on the, his fellow servant that his master had on him. And he would not, but he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the whole debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were grieved and came and told their master what had been done. And their master, after he called him, said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Show you should not have should you should not have had compassion on your fellow servant, as I had pity on you. And the master was angry, and delivered him to the torturers that he should pay the debt that was due to him. Jesus's point here clearly is that God has forgiven you and me of infinitely more than anybody could ever do against you or against me. But we forget what God's forgiven us of, or we never really saw what God's forgiven us of. And so what, what helps me to forgive people is when I realize the things God's forgiven me of. Sometimes it's just inner attitude, pride. Pride is one of the biggest sins there is. It's exalting myself above God. That's what caused them to fall in the garden. Let's go to James chapter 4 and we'll end here. How can our heart be filled with Him when we hold on to things that he's opposed to all he that are opposed to all he is. So what do we do? James chapter four. Verse one. Where do wars and f- fights come from? That's what he says here. Don't they come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You don't have because you don't ask, and then the things you ask for you don't receive because you ask amiss with the wrong motive, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, this is not being, this is not, you know, seeker-friendly. You adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's saying here, how can, how can your heart be open to God fill you when, when, you're, when, you're, when, you're, when you're fighting with one another, and the reason you're fighting with one another is you're fighting over the things of this world. How can you do that? How can you, how can you try to be a friend of the world when you were trying to be a friend of the world, you made yourself an enemy of God? They're op- absolutely opposed to one another. You can't be in love with... The world means the systems of this world, the ways of this world. The, the, and strife is one of them. Do unto, somebody does something unto you, then do it unto them back. In fact, do it before they do it unto you. Get ahead of them. That's the system of the world. That's right. If that's what you want to do, then you make yourself an enemy of God. You're opposed to God because God's heart is love and forgiveness. Verse 5. 
Or don't you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. This scripture is to show us that God in us is jealous for the things that have a place in our heart that are above him. He's jealous for that. Now why is someone jealous? They're jealous because they love you. They're jealous because they want to be first. They're jealous because they want your attention. They want your heart more than your heart's given to somebody else. And isn't that really what adultery is? Because adultery is when, when, two, when one, or, one or more of two people that have entered into a, a blood covenant of marriage together choose to satisfy their needs by having a relationship with somebody outside that covenant. That's what adultery is. And when you came to Christ, you were married to Him. We are the bride of Christ. Therefore, we made a covenant commitment to Him to draw what we need to satisfy our inner needs, to draw what we need to satisfy our outer needs, to draw what we need to fill that gap from our, 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 our covenant partner, which is Him, and not from the world. Because when we go to seek it from the world, that's committing spiritual adultery. But here's the good news. The Spirit in us, go back a second, the Spirit in us is jealous. He wants to be first. Now go to verse 6. What do we do? But here's the good news. He gives more grace. The Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So as the Spirit of God begins to work on you and to point up areas in your heart, in your life that need to be let go of or need to be changed or priorities that need to change, instead of resisting, instead of defending yourself, by the way, He's always right. So when you start justifying while you're doing, that's pride. And you're resisting Him. But if you'll humble yourself and say, Lord, I love what the Syrophoenician woman said. When Jesus called her a dog. You know the story? She came to Him and said, you know, my daughter is possessed by this devil. At first he ignored her. And then the disciples said, get rid of her. And she kept pushing in. And he said, she said, Master, my daughter's vexed by this demon. And He said, I did not come because she wasn't a Jew. I didn't come except to the house of Israel. I didn't come to feed the dogs. The master called her a dog. And she said, True Lord. She didn't argue with him. If that's what you want to call me, that's what I am. But even the dog had to eat the crumbs. And he called it great faith. So if the Spirit of God is convicting you of something, don't resist Him, because God resists the proud. But humble yourself. Admit open your heart. He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Verse 7. Therefore submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Many of us try to resist the devil but without submitting to God. What does it mean to submit to God? If God commands you to forgive and I say I can't. That's resisting Him. Because if God says to forgive, you can do it. He didn't say it's easy. He didn't say you'll feel like it. But He says you can do it. And when I say I can't, when God's told me to do something, that's resisting Him. And if I resist Him, then I've submitted to the devil. I told you this wasn't going to be fun this morning. But if I'll do the opposite, if I'll submit to God, And even if it's hard, and he says, the Word of God says, forgive those that have offended you, even those that have despitefully used you, pray for them. If I will submit to them and say, yes, God, that's what I must do, help me, you will get the grace to do it. But if you argue and say, no, no, that doesn't apply to me, that's resisting God, and therefore when you resist God, you submit to the devil. But if you'll submit to God, ask for help, He'll give you grace. And then the next thing is, you now have to resist it. You've got to say no to the thoughts. You now have to, you have to, there's a part you have to play, which is saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, you know, sometimes I get just bombarded with thoughts that I know are not godly thoughts, and I'll just speak to, I'll answer them right wherever I am. I'm not loud enough so everybody can, I'll just say, Jesus, I don't, that's not my thought. Jesus, that's not my thought. Jesus, that's not my thought. Jesus, that's not my thought. Because you can't think two thoughts at the same time. And eventually it goes away. God gives grace to the humble. Then verse 8, which I didn't, verse 8, I didn't give them. Oh yeah, I did. 
Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. In other words, straighten things up. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, get things right. Lament and warn and weep. That doesn't sound like a jumping and shouting service. In other words, be grieved. Be sorry for what you're, where you are. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of God, and He will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of God, and He will lift you up. God's not mad at anybody. But God wants to live in us through Christ. He wants to dwell in us, to be at home in us, so that He can have His way. And everything that's in our heart and in our life that's getting in His way is causing trouble for us one way or the other. We just like to hold on to them because they're like our pets. Some of us have pets that aren't four-legged. Some of us have pets which are pet attitudes, pet grievances, pet thinking patterns, pet habits. And we take better care of them than we do our dog or our cat. We take them to the groomers and have them dressed up. We feed them every day. Whatever they want, whatever they demand, we feed them. And God's saying we've got to get rid of them. Got to get rid of them. <laughs> Oh, I'll tell this anyway. I'm telling on myself. Uh, but I was raised with cats. I love cats. I enjoy cats. And, um, years ago, we had a cat that I think my mother had given us. And our oldest son began to develop allergies to this cat. Not all the time, but if he would get a cold, he would start wheezing. And so our pediatrician, who was a well-known pediatrician, sat me down and said, this cat is affecting your son's health. And I said, well, let me pray about it. (laughs) Well, here's what I was doing. I mean, obviously I've got to choose my son's health. But in my mind I'm trying to figure, is there some way I can keep the cat... And this, is there some way I can work this out? So I tried to have the cat on the back porch. I tried all, I, I'm try, here's what I'm trying to, I'm tr- there's a clear choice I've got to make, which is an obvious choice. I can sit in church every day, I, got, I choose my son above the cat. I choose my son above the cat. But when I came home from the doctor's office where I said, yes, I'm trying to figure a way that I can also hang on to that cat. Some of you have pets, pet grievances pet attitudes, pet pet traditions. Some of these were ingrained in you by your family. This is the way we do Some of them were ingrained in you because, well, we're we're Portuguese and that's what we do, or or we're Italian and that's what we do, or we're we're, we're Irish or German and that's what we do. I thought you were a Christian. (laughs) Being Portuguese or Irish isn't an excuse from these commandments. That's a pet that you hold on to that becomes an excuse for not allowing Christ in you to have His way. Pets. And so the cat had to go. The cat had to go. Again, I choose my son, he's here this morning, over that cat anytime. But in my thinking, is there some way I want the cat. See, some of us, I want Jesus in me. I want Jesus free. I want Jesus to do these things in me. I want all that. I really don't. Is there some way I can keep this habit? Is there some way, and I'm talking to me, is there some way I can hold on to this attitude? I'll only, I'll only use it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> the rest of the time you can have me. Is there some way I can hold on to it? No. No. We must choose Christ. And boy, the benefits. That cat's probably long dead but my son serving with me in the ministry produced two wonderful kids, a beautiful wife. Do it God's way. Let God have His way in you. We need to close. Let's pray. Father, much has been said today that's not jumping and, jumping and shouting and, and praising God, but these are important things. And I believe with all my heart Father, that you're preparing us for what you want to do here. And I know you're working in me on these things.
So my prayer today is exactly what Paul prayed. That you would strengthen us. That you would strengthen us by your Spirit in our inner man so that Jesus can actually live in us and have His way. That He can go where He wants to go through us and say what He wants to say through us to whomever He wants to say it. Lord, all of us have pets, comfort zones, things we not, have not been willing to do or go. And this is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit to pull those walls down, to change those attitudes, to strengthen us to let go of what we've got to let go of so that we can make room for Jesus in us, that we can be filled with all of your fullness and that we might come to know that incredible love that Jesus has for us and for this whole world. We ask you this, Father, in that name that's above every name. Amen.